When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm excited to share with you a conversation I had with Ryan Jenkins and Stephen Van Cohen. I got the opportunity to talk to them about their new book, Connectable, how leaders can move teams from isolated to all in. And in this conversation, we're talking about something we've never talked about specifically or drilled down this deep into it in this show, which is the topic of loneliness. And in this conversation with Ryan and Steven, we talk about gaining awareness on how loneliness can impact work, both in person and remote, how we can assess the strength of an individual or team's connection and how to improve it how to identify isolated or burned out workers and what to do about that, and how we can create environments of connection in the workplace. And again, this is on an individual level and a macro level. I really found this conversation and the book both fascinating, and it's a great topic to discuss. And you may be thinking to yourself, well, I'm not lonely. I enjoy working by myself. Yes, that's true. Same for me. However, there are definitely some aspects to this that are applicable regardless of if you're an introvert or an extrovert, an in-person worker or a remote worker. There's research and findings in this book and conversation that I think you're going to find fascinating. So I'll just get out of the way and say, enjoy this conversation with Ryan Jenkins and Stephen Van Cohen. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome to the show Ryan Jenkins and Stephen Van Cohen. Ryan, Stephen, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, Eric. Super excited to have two people at once on the show. People that have been listening for a long time may realize that that is actually pretty few and far between. I think the last time it happened, it was actually a married couple talking about streaking and no, it's not what you think. <laughs> Go look it up. It's, it's about completing streaks of activity, habits, all that kind of good stuff. But that's not what we're talking about this week. This week, we're talking about your new book coming out in March called Connectable, How Leaders Can Move Teams from Isolated to All In. And as soon as I understood what the book was about, I thought, oh, this is genius because I've been living this for, well, everybody's been living this in some sense or another for the past two to three years now. And we'll get into that. But I've been living this. I've been, you know, working remotely and having questions of what's wrong with me? Why do I feel lonely while I'm working from home all day? This is kind of a perfect scenario for me being an introvert. I get my energy from being by myself. So why don't I feel more healthy? So I'm very curious, how did you get into the thought process of this book? I'm not assuming you stumbled upon it, but I'm interested in 
What were the indicators that said, you know, there's enough here and a real symptom slash problem that we need to address? Yeah, back in 2019, we were studying Generation Z, the youngest generation entering the workforce. And we discovered that they're the loneliest generation by a lot. They were experiencing loneliness. And we thought, gosh, that's really troubling. And could we help them? What can we do to, to, to lean into this and figure this out? So we began trying to unpack loneliness to figure out what we could do and if workplace would be a, a solution to help you know unify folks and create more belonging. And then the pandemic happened and we brought all this loneliness research to our clients thinking, I don't think humans are ready to talk about loneliness just yet. And we were floored by the appetite that the market had and everyone wanted to talk about loneliness. So if there's one silver lining in all this, certainly COVID has, has pulled the curtain back and folks are finally ready to talk about loneliness. And so that kicked off our really in-depth research where we surveyed over 2000 global workers on how they're experiencing loneliness. And no longer is it just Gen Z that's experiencing loneliness. We're all lonely. In fact, 72% of global workers say they experience it at least monthly and Gen Z still seems to be the loneliest by, by not that much. And so, yeah, Eric, your, your situation and what many folks are experiencing, you're not alone in that. And that's something that's, you know, loneliness was increasing before the pandemic, but certainly the pandemic put a big spotlight on loneliness. I'm curious, what is your definition of loneliness? We often start there because when we start to talk about a topic on the show, I like to get clarity. I like not just summarize, but clarify because often what we think of as a definitively just everybody knows the answer to this word or everybody's on the same page definition wise of a word come to find out often. No, that is not the case. We are not on the same page. And so I think what some people might think of as loneliness or even something shameful about being lonely. In other words, they're not on the same page. So what is your definition of loneliness? And do you think that maybe contradicts what most people think of when they think of loneliness? So I'll give you two definitions, Eric. One is a kind of a macro high-level definition, which is loneliness isn't the absence of people, it's the absence of connection, right? So oftentimes when we think of loneliness, we think of someone who just doesn't have access to other human beings. That's not the case, right? You can be in the office, surrounded by people and still feel overwhelmingly lonely, or you can be a remote worker who doesn't get a lot of face-to-face -face time, but you know you can feel really connected to the people you're interacting with regularly. So it's really about the connection between people more so than the frequency of interaction between humans. The other definition is how we define loneliness as it relates to work. Because you know work is really where we have an expertise as it relates to loneliness. And we define workplace loneliness by the distress caused by the perceived inadequacy of a quality connection to teammates, leaders, the organization, and the work itself. And what's really important with that definition is the word, the perceived inadequacy. Loneliness is an emotion, right? Which means people feel it very differently. So for every individual, whatever that perceived inadequacy is, is going to register differently. So for you, Eric, being the introvert that you are, how you define and feel lonely is obviously going to be different than someone like me who's an extreme extrovert. So in the book, we talk a little bit about the differences between the two. But as far as definitions go, that's a pretty good place to start. Well, and I want to call that out real quick is you just made that distinction of saying loneliness affects 
everyone, not just introverts, which is typically what I think some people would think of, uh, you know, oh, you're lonely. You actually you'd think of it the other way. Sorry, that extroverts would have, you know, issues with loneliness because of a lack of people being around, which I'm, I'm glad you gave your definition that it's not a lack of people. It's a lack of connectedness. Exactly. Yeah. You mentioned to a prior response there, Eric, about shamefulness. And I think that's why we've been avoiding loneliness for so long. And that's why we didn't think a lot of our clients would want to talk about it because it's still shrouded in so much shame. And we try to destigmatize that. It, it's, loneliness really isn't shameful. It's, it's certainly just a signal, right? It's a signal that we belong together. It's akin to hunger, right? If you have a hunger pain, well, then you should go get some sustenance and eat something. Same thing. If you're experiencing loneliness, it's, there's nothing wrong with you. It's a universal human condition. And so it's, it's your cue. It's our biological nature's nudge to go connect with somebody, force, uh, you know, find your, your tribe and to invest in others. And it's just something that is, you know, we argue in the book and we, we, we feel like we make a really strong case that belonging, the sense of connection with others is the strongest human need that we have. It might not be our most urgent, but it is one of the most important ones that we have. I love that you connected it to hunger because that's what I was thinking about earlier. Well, when I was hungry, uh, I, guess, <laughs> I was like, oh, you know what? It is kind of like that because, you know, hunger pain is maybe an overrated way of stating it. Unless you're in extreme hunger, pain is probably not the right word. You're just hungry. Mm. But loneliness, you know, you could have loneliness pain, so to speak. It's not like an injury, but it is emotional and it is stressful. So I'm, I'm glad that you connected it that way. Well, let's talk about pain for a second, because the most eye-opening research Ryan and I came across is how the brain essentially registers the feeling of loneliness, right? And what has happened over lots and lots of years of our evolution, the neural network, the wiring in our brains, the part of the brain that lights up when we are registering and feeling physical pain, essentially the part of the brain that says, fight or flight, hey, you're in danger, that part of the brain is the same part of the brain that lights up when you're feeling lonely, when you're feeling rejected, when you're feeling isolated. And the reason is because lots of years ago, when we had to battle saber-toothed tigers and woolly mammoths, we knew that if we were either left from the tribe or if we got lost from the tribe or if the tribe kicked us out, our chances of survival plummeted. And our brains figured out a way to make sure that we were one with a pack. And we had a community of people to help us survive in those early years. And that's why we use words like, oh, a broken heart, right? Like we tied the terms to physical pain because that's essentially how our brain is responding to those kinds of feelings. Interesting. And that's what makes, Eric, I think where the rubber uh, meets the road with a lot of your listeners is that, you know, if we're showing up to do the work that we do on a daily basis and we're feeling disconnected and we're experiencing loneliness, you know, we're distracted at best and debilitated at worst, right? And so we can't fully show up and execute like we hope we can or, or deliver for customers and clients because we've got this, we're distracted by this pain that we're experiencing. In the book, we talk about, you know, imagine coming out into the UFC ring and getting socked in the stomach and then still being able to, to perform. And it's like, well, have you ever been socked in the stomach and then been asked to continue to do your work? Like, of course not. But essentially, that's what we're talking about here, right? Is that your brain saying, no, this, something's off. I, we need to fix this before I can focus on anything else. And so if we want to, you know, kick our productivity into, into hypergear, really focusing on our connection and making sure we're nourishing these relationships and creating a sense of belonging is really important. 
Yeah, I, I do want to dive a little deeper and jump into the specifics of not just loneliness, but workplace loneliness. And I think you've hit it already on the head and kind of transitioned to this there a, a little bit is because when you talk about productivity, one of the main words that comes up is focus. And one of the main things that comes up with focus is reducing or eliminating distractions and interruptions. And let's face it, those either come from technology or people through technology for the most part these days or the person, you know, that walks by and knocks on your cubicle door or your your workplace door or whatever. But for remote workers and, and having been one for many years prior to the pandemic, it was this strange, unidentifiable akin to hunger type feeling where it was like, wait, I don't understand what's going on. Like I'm home by myself. I don't have all these interruptions. Why do I feel so off and unmotivated and non again connected? And this is exactly why. It's exactly why. And you're alluding to one of the real problems and one of the major culprits for why loneliness is, you know, running rampant as it is right now. You know, in our research, there are a few key driving factors, one of which is busyness. And busyness is a very big problem as relates to people finding time to connect. And if you ask 100 people, how are you doing? 95 of them are typically going to respond by saying, I'm just so busy. I'm so overwhelmed. There's just so much to do. My to-do list is running rampant. And the feeling of our busyness precludes us from taking time to just connect and like carving out 20 minutes to just really catch up with someone and see how they're doing. And, you know, unless we're intentional about creating that margin to go above and beyond, hi, how are you? What's new? How was your weekend? We're typically just not doing that naturally because we're so busy and overwhelmed. And as a remote worker, it becomes even harder because everyone's on a 15 minute deadline, right? Like we don't have the time to do what we need to do to feel more connected with one another. Yeah. I think one of the things that I appreciate for my day job is we typically leave five to 10 minutes, depending upon how many people are in the video call. Let me put it that way as a disclaimer, because you can't do it with like, you know, 10 to 20 people, but you can do it with like five to seven where we all go around and say, hey, how you doing? Or just, get, you know, get into actual chit chat. In other words, intentionally start the meeting or the the meat of the meeting slightly delayed so that people can connect because everybody's in different timetables and time zones and time frames and deadlines. And so that's been one small sliver of symptomatic, at least, addressment, maybe not necessarily addressing of the actual problem, but it's a, it's a start. Yeah, that can, that can be very helpful. And it does, the, the research shows it doesn't take much effort, you know, it just takes routine pro-social behaviors. So yeah, like you said, five minutes before a virtual or in-person meeting. Uh, research also shows two-person interaction. Loneliness can lessen in as little as 40 seconds. And research also shows that just one person at work, one friend that or confidant that you have at work can drastically reduce the sense of isolation and loneliness. So it really doesn't take much, but it really takes intentional effort and continuous effort as well. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people, or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent 
fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's something that works so well, it basically feels like magic. For me, I'm thinking air conditioning, noise-canceling headphones, definitely. Meeting-free Fridays. What about selling with Shopify? (coughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch-your-own-shop stage to the first real store stage, you don't have to just sell your own stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from brands you love and give your customers more variety in your business more sales. Shopify is your no excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Shopify also helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort. Thanks to Shopify magic, your AI powered all-star sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash beyond. Again, go to shopify.com slash beyond now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash beyond another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I know that you've got a ton of research in the book. I'm curious, is there anything, you know, in terms of the everyday workplace loneliness affecting productivity on a small or even on a large scale in terms of business? Yeah, some of the major statistics are quite alarming. And it goes back to what Ryan said, right? If you're feeling lonely, oftentimes you're distracted at best and debilitated at worst. So some of the research that we've uncovered show that people who feel lonely, they're seven times more likely to be disengaged. They're five times more likely to miss work. And they're twice as likely to think about quitting their current employer. And BetterUp did this really amazing data study a couple of years ago. And their data looked specifically at the importance of belonging and just like team productivity and cohesion for teams that have belonging and teams that don't. As you can imagine, some of those statistics are also pretty insane. So 56% of people who feel like they belong on a team, it boosts that team's performance by 56%. Recruitment goes up. I mean, our, our research shows that if people are feeling connected, if they feel included and they feel a sense of belonging, it's good for well-being and physical health and mental and emotional well-being. It helps with retention, engagement, and performance. So all very important reasons for why this isn't just a soft topic, but a dire one. Yeah, totally. I mean, when you've got shocking statistics like that, it's like, you know, it's hard to see the forest for the trees sometimes, but you know, when you can gain clarity on something like this, especially from a leadership 
perspective. I don't want to discount here. We're talking kind of on an individual basis. And, you know, I want to think about it in terms of a collective or even from a, a managerial perspective. The subtitle for the book is how leaders can move teams from isolated to all in. And I want to kind of shift into that space right now and just say, like, look, as far as being aware of the problem, that's one thing. And there's definitely a lot more awareness of this that has to be brought about. And that's what I think and hope the book will do for people. But part two is being aware is not just enough. You've got to be able to start doing something about it. And I think some people may, let's say, balk at, okay, one, I don't know if I believe that it's even an issue. But two, now you want me to do what to fix it? How do you consult with leaders and get them one, to the stage of awareness slash two, the, to the stage of action. Yeah, it's a good point. And we've actually experienced a, a different reaction as we're sharing it in the, in the books out there for many, a lot of it's copies and we get responses from leaders. And as we do keynotes and workshops with clients when we're, you know, talking uh, specifically and directly to leaders, the response we get is actually, this actually feels empowering because it just takes me. Like I don't have to go, you know, convince uh, executives. I don't have to completely overhaul a company culture. I don't have to do all these, like it just takes me and just some simple pro-social behaviors. It's like we talked about earlier. So, so actually folks are finding it very empowering. And so it's just arming folks with just enough of things, enough tools, enough awareness to start making subtle changes. And as we know with, you know, in life in general, it takes consistency and nourishing. And it's, it's a, we created a framework and it's a circle. And so you got to constantly work these relationships and be focused on this topic because your well-being, you know, humans well-being, we like to uh, attach it or, or use the metaphor like it's a, it's a battery. And we don't just connect once with someone and our batteries charged forever, like it depletes over time. So we got to constantly find ways to, to connect, to recharge our batteries. And so, yeah, we, we find that leaders are, are finding it much more accessible than they once thought. And just in general, I'm willing to bet your listeners are probably leaning in thinking, yeah, I, I experienced loneliness and I've never talked about it. And I'm maybe a couple of folks have come to mind where you think, oh, maybe I'll reach out to that person or have a conversation about it because people just are leaning in because we haven't yet talked about it and yet we all experience it. And Eric, real quick, you know, 94% of the leaders we've polled have said that since the pandemic, they feel their team is growing lonelier. Now, not necessarily a massive surprise, right? Because people are just a lot more removed and isolated. But the fact that 94% of leaders are admitting that, hey, this is something that is a new threat, right? This is a new thing I'm needing to deal with. And they're recognizing that, hey, I have to do something <laughs> because whoever's felt lonely before understands that this is a big deal. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's that's right. I mean, I was second guessing myself as I was listening, but I think to myself, no, you know what? If anybody brings this up now, I think we've all experienced enough disconnect and not being connectable and just loneliness in general over the past few years and then some to maybe say, wait, maybe there is something to this. So, yeah, maybe you're right. I think there's I know you're right. There's actually a lot of resonance going on here, I think, in terms of what people are thinking with this being true and this being definitely not just symptoms of the pandemic, but overall a, a larger problem. I'm curious, though, for an individual as well as for a leader, what are the ways that you would suggest we identify slash address if we're lonely, which most likely we have at least some tendency to go there, you know, if we can identify a worker or ourselves as being lonely or burned out? 
you know, we encourage teams and leaders to, to just assume that there's folks on your team that are feeling isolated and disconnected. You know, just start there because it's not a matter of if your team's lonely, it's just a matter of how many of them are feeling detached and disconnected. You know, some simple things to look for. We've identified 10 identifiers in the book. I'll just go over a few of them. One is this idea of a lack of learning and development. So if you see someone's curiosity drive or their growth mindset kind of going backwards and they're limited, they have limited participation in training, they've got a disdain for extracurricular activities, they're not asking a lot of questions, that could be a signifier that someone's detaching. A change in routine, what's important there is leaders understand or even team members understand the behaviors and routines of, of the folks that are in the organization. So they have an idea of when routines are broken. That can be a subtle indicator. They skip or resent meetings, right? They're not apologizing for being late. They're perhaps keeping their camera off for an extended period during video meetings. And I think one that probably is most surprising for folks is this idea of excessive working. So they're spending too much time working as a way to avoid personal responsibilities. And that can point to an imbalance in social relationships. And that can show up very specifically, like if if folks are volunteering for too many projects, they're piling up their vacation days, they're returning emails late at night. These are all subtle, subtle cues. And I think the other thing that's important, and we're talking about, you know, the, the book is addressed at leaders. And because one of the reasons we wanted to address leaders and wrote it for leaders is if someone's experiencing loneliness, they do the opposite of what they should do. So they, they turn inward instead of turning outward to create connection. And so it's really important for the tribe, for team members and leaders, that if we identify someone that's, uh, you know, has these tendencies or these behaviors of detachment, is that we have to do something to pull them back in. Because if not, they continue to turn inward, they continue to point their attention and hyper vigilant on their emotions, and then they're more likely to distrust others. And so it's just this downward spiral, and it's a snake that eats itself. It's a really tricky emotion. And so that's why it's so important for all of us to make sure to keep tabs on our tribe and to keep pulling folks in and constantly stoking the sense of belonging that exists on our team. So those are a few things to, to keep out for. And again, another reinforcement as to why all of us need to be aware of it so that we can do something about ourselves if we're capable, or we can pull others in that might be experiencing disconnection. Now, I know that one of the things that somebody's saying out there right now as they listen is, okay, I get it. If I identify it in myself or someone else, something does need to be done. However, I am just so busy and we all are. So they don't want to suddenly upend their entire calendar or, you know, block things off or vice versa, add on too much like you were just talking about. What are some of the individual or probably a better way to put it is what what are the some of the instant or immediate, maybe quick wins in terms of if I notice it in myself, what can I do? Or if I'm a leader, what can I do not to (laughs) come across as having like an intervention? Yeah. So I have three, Eric, that I'll share. But before I share the three, I'll I'll share just a really quick story because I feel like it sets some good context for how quickly you can feel less lonely. One of my clients, she's up in Canada and really during the, the heart of all of the, you know, restrictions, She said she was only able to go outside essentially and interact with other people during her dog walking trips. And she would walk her dog three or four times a day. So she's a middle-aged woman. Her kids are all grown. She lives by herself. And she said, I'd never once felt lonely. Like I was by myself all day long in my apartment, but I never felt lonely. And she said, the reason is every time I would go walk my dog, I made it a point to smile and quickly chat with three people that I passed every single day. 
And she said, I started to keep a tally and I was, you know, running up to like 10 to 12 people that I was having these very kind of micro interactions with. And she said, that was enough for me to feel like I'm still a part of this humanity. Like I'm, I'm a thread, right? Kind of in the, the collective embroidery of the people around me. And, and for her, that was enough. So there's three things that people can do today that don't take a ton of time or energy, but make a difference. The first is to trade high tech for high touch. And essentially what that means is to just exchange one email, one text message, or one IM for a quick phone call or a quick face-to-face get-together via Zoom. So it's not upending your entire communication plan for the day. It's just one, right? And if you can do one extra more pro-social communication with somebody else, that's enough to feel more connected. The second is to employ a strategy that we call be where your feet are. And no surprise, social media and technology are one of the the primary reasons why people feel lonely. So if you could dedicate just certain like points throughout your kind of typical day where you decide not to pick up your cell phone. So for me, it's when I'm in my kid's playroom. Like when I'm with my kids in their playroom, that's a phone-free zone. When I'm at the kitchen table, that's a phone-free zone. And for me, as the extrovert that I am, when I'm waiting in line, that's a phone-free zone. And I choose these specific spots where I decide not to use my phone because it allows me to look up and actually interact with the people around me. So being where your feet are is a really good way to feel less lonely. And then the last one is to identify the beneficiaries of your labor. One of the quickest ways to pull someone from feeling disconnected and lonely back into feeling like an important member of society is by understanding the impact that your work has. So when you can have a straight line between what you're doing and the impact that that's having for others, you feel important. And that feeling of importance lessens loneliness in a really big way. So those would be the three. Trade high tech for high touch, be where your feet are, and identify the beneficiaries of your labor. Very cool. I think that, you know, as I'm listening to those, I'm identifying in myself what that means on a not a motive level, but a I don't know, a, a subtext level maybe. That in terms of Trading the the high tech for high touch is kind of an intentionality shift. In other words, being a little more intentional to connect a little bit more instead of the passive, just shoot off a quick text, have the phone call or have the video call or even meet in person if you can do that. The phone free zones is kind of, again, going back to boundaries and eliminating distractions and things like that. And that all of these lean towards a shift in perspective to, again, add to your own self-awareness of not just your own thoughts, feelings, et cetera, but your surroundings, your external context, if you will. Well said, well put. And I think it's important to reinforce here that communicating isn't necessarily connecting. Communication Mm -hmm. happens in one part of the brain, connection happens in another. And, you know, we're all communicating way more than we ever have been before, right? Every text and email, phone call, we're communicating more and more than ever, but are we actually connecting? And I think if we sit with that question for a bit, or you think about some of your past communications, there's probably not a lot of connection that's occurred. So sometimes it's just asking an insightful question, or it's just arriving a little bit early, extra early to a meeting where you can just be a little bit more aware. And you know, if we can create that, just that extra margin in some of your conversations and meetings, It can make a huge difference to shift from communication to connection. 
I also jump to, you know, some of the people who've been thinking, okay, so we, we sent everybody home, we went full remote, and now we want to start bringing people back. And they might see this as, well, this is why we've got to do it because of this. What's your perspective on that in terms of all in person or all remote or hybrid? Is there a way for all three of those different scenarios to work in terms of addressing loneliness? My position is what matters most is the level of connection within the team, right? Because we said earlier, you could be all together in person, but that doesn't necessarily mean people are feeling like they're included and they're valued and they're appreciated and they have the level of trust that they need, right? Just being together face-to-face, it's helpful, but that alone doesn't move the needle. So as leaders are thinking through what is our best strategy, And how do we make sure that we are doing our best for our employees to give them the the work kind of life balance that they need in order to thrive, but allow us to continue to make sure that, you know, we're getting the best out of each other. So looking at the connection level, I think is really important. What about for you, Ryan? Yeah, I think Steve's right. Like it, it doesn't necessarily matter like where we are. It's really about the connection. And we've talked about some of the connections that you can make and strengthen just in digital environments. So hybrid and remote are here to stay. And, you know, some organizations are going to adopt it. Others aren't. Here's what I think we need to pause, though, and be a little bit more intentional about the plan that we put together as we decide whether we go back in the office or not. In some of the research that Steve and I unpacked and, and we rolled out in the book, it was really fascinating that time and time again, people were always, before they would engage in, in a survey or research, they'd always say that they would be they, they thought to themselves that they would be uh, more happy or more engaged or have a better experience if they did not engage with others. That seemed to be very consistent across the board. So we think that we'll be less happy if we don't spark up a conversation with a stranger on a train, or we'll be less happy if we view that as an as, as interruption. But then the research and when folks are surveyed afterwards, they always have the most positive experience when they're connecting with others, whether they're introvert or extrovert. And so what I think might be happening is I think that we're choosing convenience over connection, right? Remote work is the convenient option because it's it's easier, it works, it's convenient because there's no commute. And and so are we choosing that as convenience and then we're leaving connection hanging in the wind? Maybe, maybe not. But I think more and more of us need to kind of pause and think, where might we be able to trade convenience for more connection? Because we do it all the time. If we visit an ATM or mobile banking or meal delivery or Uber. These are all instances where we're choosing convenience over connection. And it's it's fine. I mean, it, you know, technologies, it's making our lives better, but we have to be vigilant about making sure to know when to engage with humanity with all this new margin that we've been given when we're enacting all these these new technologies that are in our life. So that's the big question mark that that needs to sit with folks as they plan this stuff out is, are we just going this direction because it's convenient or do we really need to intentionally build in some more connection points? Because that's a that's a big question to unpack. And I hope that made sense. It does. It does. And and I think that um, one of the things I'm questioning here is, well, I, what I hear you saying is, is that, again, it goes to that. If we're going to go against convenience, we need to be a little bit more intentional. It's kind of like, oh, well, I can, you know, if I just have that quick question with that one person, I don't need to have like a five to 10 minute actual conversation with them, whether it's voice or video, I can shoot them a Slack message. And often that is the answer. Let's just be honest, like, because we are all that busy. However, to address this issue of loneliness, it can't always be that 
simple pat, just just go ask the question. Again, you actually almost have to go into the inconvenience of relationships, which means navigating them and scheduling them and being intentional. Like, in other words, think of it as date night with a spouse. You know, if you don't plan it, if you don't put the work in to make it happen, it doesn't happen. And then the benefit isn't there. And in fact, it's the opposite that happens is is it's not a benefit. It's a curse. <laughs> you end up getting less connected and so on. And there's a really good analogy that helps wrap this all up, Eric, because I agree with you 100%. And the analogy comes from Margaret Heffernan. She says, when you think about like an organization in this context of a building, she says, what matters isn't just the bricks, but the mortar. It's what happens in between the bricks that essentially allows a building to be strong. And when we think about that, she calls it social construct, right? But it's this, or she calls it social capital. But it's essentially like, how much social capital do we have? And how strong is the mortar? And are we paying attention to the cracks in that mortar? Because if you don't have something strong in between each brick, you don't have a building, right? And I love the way that that kind of resonates in my brain as I'm thinking about this idea of trading connection for convenience. Very cool. So in terms of like teams, though, is it the leader of the team's job to be on top of everybody's loneliness, status, or health? Or does it mutually go around the team for each and every one of us to be involved or invested in the team's health altogether, cumulatively? Yeah, I mean, leaders go first. That's what they do, right? They go ahead of the pack and they pull in a preferred future to their team. But Certainly, if that leader isn't going first, then a team member can step up and, and, and monitor and, and be vocal. So I think it's, it's, you know, it's on all of us. We, we say in the book that you know, your team is only as unified as its loneliest member. And so you know, you know, identify who that person is and make subtle strides to, to make that work. And certainly, we're not asking folks to, to be therapists or psychologists. We're just asking you know, to, to, to be part of humanity and really understanding that, that we're better together. And, and what are what are some subtle things we could be doing? And, and for, for leaders, if your team's on the bus, you've been entrusted with these people. We believe it's, you know, it's, it's the responsibility of the leader to supplement and support their well-being while on the bus. They can't control what happens off the bus, you know, outside of work. Mm-hmm. But in that moment, there's some accountability that, that leaders can show up and really deliver for folks. And, you know, it's the organizations, the healthiest organizations that we've identified, they have this balance between high performance and employee well-being. And so it's that balance. It's not focusing too much on high performance and leaving the well-being. That's an unhealthy and unbalanced organization. But we also don't cater to all the whims and all the needs and wants of, of an employee and not care about the high performance. So it's this, it's this balancing act. And we give a lot of tools in the book, but we've built a lot of other resources that can empower leaders and really any leader, you know, an individual that wants to be a leader, give them the tools to be able to identify and assess the strength of connections that exist on a team. I wonder an example of something that I saw happen that I experienced myself was last week, actually, where there was a normal meeting time and we were told ahead of time, we're not doing our normal meeting. We're going to do a fun thing. And I'm like, okay. So, and part of me, you know, most people, I mean, I I don't know how anybody else feels, but I think some people will identify with how I felt, which was, oh no, what's this fun, you know, air quotes, fun thing going to be because it's a work-related fun thing. I'm excited to say that I was 
not just pleasantly, but like ecstatically surprised at how well it went. We just, we broke up into teams and we did trivia and then came back and graded it. And it was like bragging rights and all this kind of fun stuff. And it was completely virtual, but it did a lot for my mood and everybody else's in that Zoom call. We uh, gave a lot of examples from a woman named Felicia White. And Felicia is the VP of Learning and Development for Church's Chicken. And uh, when you think of fried chicken, you don't necessarily think about like online team building. However, she did this masterful job right during the heart of COVID of really making sure that there were these above and beyond happy hour experiences where people can really connect. And she said something cool. She said, when life events start to take place that impact people on a personal level, you better find ways to get connected with them on a personal level, right? And that's what COVID has done for a lot of a lot of companies. But she had things like virtual karaoke, which maybe is sending a panic attack through a lot of your listeners. But for those who were bold enough to get on camera and do karaoke, she said it was awesome. They had, you know, show and tell where people would, you know, essentially show an important item, just like we did as we were six-year-olds and explain why that was such an important relic for us. And she just had these really cool ways to do things that allow people to feel, you know, empowered and to feel like, hey, these people are interested in me. They, they're wanting to know more about my life. And like you said, Eric, it wasn't like a half day offsite. It wasn't this super taxing thing, but it was enough to get us to feel like, okay, that was cool. I feel good about myself. That's awesome. I love hearing other ideas and stories and and different ways of addressing this, whether it's from a team perspective or actually let's go there on an individual perspective. Say you notice it, say you resonate, you're listening and you you say, no, that's this is me to a T. I am either an extrovert or an introvert, but either way, I know that I am more lonely than I should be. Obviously, we talked about, you know, shifting in perspective and having boundaries and being more intentional. Is there anything else in terms of a small scale building block type habitual practice that we can do to build in more connectedness. Even if we don't have a lot of connectedness in our personal life per se, in immediate physical space, whether we have, you know, roommates or family or whatever that we live with, we may have friends and we may see them periodically. But what else is there, you know, in terms of just our overall health when it comes to this? So how about Ryan? I I share a first one and then you can share a second one. Yeah, sounds good. So one of the best strategies for individuals out there is to simply ask for advice. Now, there's something really magical that happens when you ask somebody for advice, right? Like it makes them feel amazing. Like who doesn't want to be asked for advice? So it could be something as simple as a very elementary problem, but that's kind of the gateway to getting into a conversation with someone who's very eagerly going to give you time and going to feel really good about helping you through whatever decision you're needing to make. So it's, you know, essentially like, hey, Eric, I've been thinking about X, Y, Z. If you were me, what would you do? Right? Like that one question is enough for two people to have a meaningful exchange. And it allows that other person to lean into what you're asking from them because who doesn't want to be an advice giver? So that would be one strategy that uh, has been working really well with our clients. And then I'd like to say too, you know, our goal with this is to reduce loneliness at all costs, right? We're trying to help people give resources and quantify and all that. And one of the resources we have is a loneliness self-assessment. So it's 10 questions. It's research driven. It's empirically validated to assess how lonely you are. And so it's completely free. If folks go to lesslonely.com, they can find that. 
And along with that, we provide all these other tactics and tips that Steve and I are sharing so folks can access that. And another strategy that we share in that is to express gratitude. Gratitude has been proven to, to lessen loneliness because it's you thinking outside of yourself, right? When we're lonely, we tend to, to go inward. So if, if you can, you know, draft a gratitude email to somebody or send a text, write a letter, call somebody and express one thing that you're grateful for in that person. One other tip that I just came to mind that I'll share as well, and that is to scroll down memory lane. So scroll through your phone, your photos on your phone, uh, go one month back or one year back. And on that day, find a picture that you're with, with and text that photo with, to somebody and then just say a few words about that memory that you have with someone. Not only will that lessen your loneliness, but that'll actually lessen loneliness or create more connection with that other person as well. So those are three simple ways to, to, to subtly move the needle. And again, it doesn't take much. We just got to be intentional about it. Very cool. Yeah, those are all great tips. And I'm really encouraged, one, to see what a difference the book is going to make for the workspace at large, but also on an individual level for those that are literally remote workers by themselves all day long with maybe just a dog home with them <laughs> and and go take those dog walks and do those intentional things. Since the book is coming out basically now in March, I'm curious, is there a best place for somebody to, other than where you just said in terms of doing that assessment, where else can they go or go there uh, to find out more and dig a little deeper into the book and find out if this is something that they can use for themselves or in their team? Yeah, the go-to one-stop shop is lesslonely.com. You can find the book there and all the other resources that we talked about. Again, we tried to to just give the kitchen sink as it relates to lessening loneliness. So lesslonely.com. Steve and I are also really active on social. So you can follow us anywhere on at Ryan and Steven. Again, that's at Ryan and Steven. We even created a TikTok account. Uh, we won't be, we're not dancing, but we're sharing a lot of tips there. So Find us anywhere, and the book should be available anywhere you get books as well. So if you want to support a local bookstore, by all means. Yes, definitely. You know, call your local bookstore, have them order it for you. Then there they'll you let you know when it's there. <laughs> Just go pick it up. Go have a conversation with the bookstore owner. You'll be less lonely as well. <laughs> so, Ryan, Stephen, uh, this has been great talking with you. I've, I'm glad to have connected with you. And I can't wait to see what more research you do in this field. And, uh, you know, it's it's pretty typical when there's somebody that comes out with a book that I really like. It's the step in their evolution in terms of the writing. So stuff before, stuff to come. In other words, I can't wait to see what you do next and can't wait to have you back. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, Eric. Well, that's another podcast crossed off your listening to-do list. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Ryan Jenkins and Stephen Van Cohen, and I hope that you enjoyed talking about loneliness, as awkward as that might sound for me to say. I know it feels a little awkward for me to say, but I think this is a topic we definitely need to be talking about. In fact, I, in an inadvertent way, had already been addressing this a little bit way back in, I believe, 2016 time frame when... A friend of mine and I would do what we would call a productivity pub crawl, where we would go from coffee shop to coffee shop throughout the course of a day, co-working in public. Now, that may have been a little bit difficult in recent times with restrictions and different things, but there was definitely a symptom that we were addressing by doing that, which is the lack of connection, whether that's to other team members virtually or otherwise, or just personal connection 
I know it's partly why I like to go get out of the house, even when remote working, in order to be around other people. But again, even in this conversation, we address that, that just being around other people doesn't necessarily fix that. To a certain extent, it does for me just a little bit. It at least feels a little bit less isolated, but it doesn't necessarily feel like it fixes the connection issue. And I'm starting to address that, especially as I've been thinking about this topic since recording with Ryan and Stephen. I think this is a great topic. If you enjoyed this conversation, I'd love for you to do me the favor of sharing this episode if you found it helpful. Think of somebody that you know needs to hear this conversation and share it with them. Hit that share button in the podcast player app of choice you're listening to this in, or you can hit the share button over on the show notes at beyondthetodolist.com. Thank you again for sharing. Thanks for listening, and I will see you next episode.